Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, uh, good to be back here for our next uh, episode of Seeing Christ in the Old Testament. We uh, we we believe uh, that when you understand, when you re- read the Old Testament, looking for Jesus, looking for Christ, reading it in such a way uh, that uh, starts with the question, "Where is Jesus here?" Uh, that the books that, that the Old Testament makes sense, and and that this was Jesus' rebuke uh, of the, the both the Pharisees and, and even the disciples on the road to Emmaus was uh, as he told the Pharisees that they search the Scriptures intently, thinking that them they have life, but they miss that they testify about Him. And then in the in Luke twenty four, when it says beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So we wanna we wanna read our Bible in light of what. Jesus has said, and so we have moved uh, from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers to Deuteronomy. Last week we did Judges, and this week, or last week we did Joshua, and this uh, today we are going to. By the way, there was a typo on the uh, on the podcast because uh, instead of saying Joshua when I titled the episode, I wrote James. Seeing Jesus in the book of James, which is not hard at all because it's a New Testament book. Uh, one of my congregation members pointed that out to me. So apologies to anybody uh, who uh, saw that. Uh, it's been fixed. But <laughs> they thought for some reason you had uh, become Episcopalian and, and gotten into the Apocrypha and, and Judith was next and all that good stuff. Yeah, something like that. So this morning we are going to look at uh, how we can understand and see Christ uh, in the book of Judges, and this is going to be a challenging one uh, because Judges is a challenging, challenging book. So, uh, Gage, kick us off. Yeah, let me say this too, uh, along along the the lines of trying to understand your Bible better. Everything that we're talking about here is really, honestly, the essence of covenant theology. Covenant theology, in a nutshell, where it, it disagrees with our dispensational brothers and sisters is we're, we're looking at one story, one theme, one puzzle, one, one crimson thread uh, that's being um, woven throughout the scriptures so that even the covenants, right, the, the Adamic, the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New, all of those things are uh, pieces that are putting together to tell one story. And so when we look in the Old Testament, we're asking the same question. How is this a part of the story? Where are we in the timeline? Where are, are we in the in the, the grand narrative of the history of redemption? So as we get into Judges today, uh, Judges is one of my favorite books for a lot of reasons. One, um, Judges would make um, popular TV shows like... Um, Game of Thrones look look uh, rated G. Yeah. Um, Breaking in, bad. In, in compared to some of the the things that are going on, you know, you've got 
uh, Samson beheading things. You've got my favorite judge, um, Ehud, who who goes in and basically Elvis Presley's uh, a king by stabbing him, and then he sits on the toilet and dies. And so uh, you've got all sorts of crazy things happening. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, let's get into the context here. Um, at the beginning of Judges, what you see is a couple of things happening. One, there's this advancement into Canaan. Remember uh, last week when we were dealing with Joshua, um, we're dealing with the advancement into the promised land, that Moses was leading the people in the wilderness, that he doesn't get to enter into the promised land, but they're advancing into Canaan. Joshua now is leading the armies um, and advancing and, and give, giving land and portions uh, in fulfillment to the Abrahamic covenant and the promises of the land. Um, and then now in Judges, you see this advancement at the beginning of the chapter. Um, and this is also where you see Joshua die, right? So we're, we're dealing again with another change in leadership. And so the question at the beginning of, of Judges uh, basically comes down to this. Who's going to lead us? Who's going to lead us into the promised land? Who's going to uh, help us here? And, and really, honestly, it's the same question that the psalmist in, in Psalm 24 asked, right? Who will ascend to the hill? Who will go up for us? Who is going to go before us? Who is going to uh, help us enter into the, the place in which God uh, has promised for us? But there's some problems, Scott, as there always is, right? Any, any good story worth its salt has this conflict. And here, here are the problems. First, we see by the end of chapter one, we haven't even gotten, there's 20, 21 chapters in Judges. We hadn't got out of chapter one yet, and the people haven't finished the conquest, right. Right? right? This is, this is where, you know, like those memes you got, you had one job, right? I don't know. I follow, I actually follow a Twitter account called you had one job and it's just a series of pictures of things that don't make any sense because they, the manufacturer had one job, but they had one job and that was to advance into the promised land. But we knew that this wasn't going to go well one, because Things since the fall haven't gone well. I mean, the net. We were, I was talking to one of my church members we have in lunch this week, and we he he's reading through Genesis. I'm reading through Genesis and in, in our our uh, Bible reading, and he's like, "Man, it's just crazy." Like the next generation, you have murder, and then the next generation, you've got like a a sociopath who's murdering more people than Cain, and then you don't even get into chapter nine before the Lord's like, "You know what? <laughs> Flood." Like this is this has gotten crazy because that's the nature of the brokenness of sin. Yeah, I, I think of the 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 spirit of the age, the spirit of of um, our, our world is everyone should do what is what uh, what their heart tells them to do. Mm -hmm. uh, search for search look within yourself live your there truth you'll find it. truth yeah. I, this is what you hear from oprah uh in fact i sometimes refer to that doctrine as the doctrine of total opravity um <laughs> uh, the idea that uh, whatever uh, live your own truth right we hear we hear that live your own truth well the bible actually uh beat everybody in our current culture to the punch with this idea of what does it look like when you live your own truth? Because the book of Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And and what we get in the book of Judges is what does that look like when everybody does what's right in their own eyes? How's that, as Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? 
uh, it, it looks really, really bad. And so, um, so yeah, it is, it is absolute, absolute breaking bad carnage. And, and that's, and that's the reality, right? Another way of maybe saying this is, you know, instead of what doing what's right in your own eyes, which is the, the phrase that's used in judges, um, both in chapter one and then again, um, in, in at the end of 21, almost as bookends, right? Another way of saying it is what would happen if you followed your heart? Well, the problem is Jeremiah 17 tells us, right? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all That's else right. who, who can understand it. So, and I tell my kids this all, all the time because we live in a culture, like you said, Scott, we live in a culture that tells you your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Uh, and, and as we kind of pressed on that, uh, as we've been going through the new city catechism together, um, as we pressed on that in the definition of what sin is, that the problem becomes everybody gets to define what good is by their own standard then. Correct. And taking it to its logical conclusion, you run into things like, what if I think it's good that another uh, race of people be wiped off the face of the earth? Now, I know normally when you get into a debate, the moment you enact Hitler, you've lost the debate, but like taking it to its logical conclusion, if it's not Hitler, it's apartheid. If it's not apartheid, it's um, the Taliban. If it's not the Taliban, it's ISIS, right? Like if, if I believe that, that whoever's truth is their truth and their determination of good gets to be their own standard, then who am I to tell you like, Hey, you can't own people or you can't wipe another uh, race of people off the face of the planet, or you can't treat uh, South Africans as as second-class citizens, or you can't treat the Afghanistans this way. All of that would be nonsense if I I said that was okay. And we know that because naturally we are built in the Imago day to know what justice is and know what good is. But God is the one. He's the first cause. We are the second cause, right? He's the one that gets to set the standard. He's the one that's the highest authority. And that's honestly the foundation of this conversation in Judges. Correct. That the Lord is, as as Paul talks about, uh, in chapter one, he he gave gave them up to to their own desires. This is that in in the Old Testament. This is what happens when the Lord says, "Okay, cool. You think you've got it? Then go for it." But here's the good news of the gospel. You you get into chapter two, um, and notice the question that happens. the The angel of the Lord, which, by the way, when we see the angel of the Lord, those are those are Christophanies, right? Those are Old Testament appearances of Jesus. An- another good example of that would be in Zechariah 3 when the, the angel of the Lord shows up to, to give new clothes to Joshua the high priest. Correct. Um, so you, you see the angel of the Lord shows up in chapter 2. And as things are going, going on, you see in verse 2, as he's addressing the people, he asks this question. What is this that you've done? You you were supposed to conquer these enemies. You were supposed to drive them out because mingling with them wasn't going to lead to you resting in me. It was going to lead to you chasing all these other gods, which we know that's what eventually happens. And that's why they go into captivity, not once, but twice. Uh, But 
he asked the question, what is this you have done? Now, if you're reading chronologically up to this point, if you're reading from the beginning of Genesis to now, as, as we've kind of been doing in our, our podcast, that question should set off a red flag. When right. When's the last time you heard this? This is the exact same question that God asked Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter three and verse 13. What's this you've done? Right. It, is God asking the question, Scott, because he doesn't know? No, he's not. He's asking the question because uh, there's nothing God doesn't know. God doesn't read about things in the paper. God doesn't ask questions to try to uh, get the lay of the land. God asks questions like this because it is a call to confession. Mm. He is he is inviting them to confess their sins uh, before him. When my when my when my six year old who has been told don't get into the chocolate chip cookies when he comes uh, when it, when I walk into the kitchen and he turns around really fast and he has chocolate chip crumbs and chocolate all over his mouth I you don't got one, you got one of those at your house too huh I, I don't wonder I don't wonder what he's doing I don't there's no right. part of me that goes huh I wonder what that's about yes I say did you get into the chocolate chip cookies I'm not trying to get to the bottom of things. I'm not a detective. I know what happened. Yes. No, I'm calling him to confess. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And and think about it from the standpoint of our, our first parents in the garden. It says that they sewed fig leaves together. And I got to thinking about this the last time I read that that passage. They didn't have string, Scott. So how are they putting leaves together to cover their backside and their front side? They're probably just like sticking them wherever it will stick. And it had to look like, you know, what it would look like for a one-year-old or a two-year-old to try to dress themselves <laughs> where the Lord walks in and is just like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're naked. Right. Oh, okay. Who told you you were naked? Right? Like he, he knows, but he's like a good dad trying to, trying to get to the bottom of it. And the point is you should read the beginning of judges and realize Oh man, the wheels are falling off the rails of this car quick quickly. Like things are bad. So what do we do? Well, it it causes you to hope that somebody can come in and fix this. That somebody actually can lead them, that somebody can actually come back together. It's the same compassion that we see Jesus have when he feeds the 5000 because he's trying to if you read Mark's account They've been trying to get away just to catch their breath and, and, and eat a sandwich for like five chapters. And they go into the wilderness and the people chase them into the wilderness. And it's and where you and I would get absolutely irritated because we were stressed and burnt out. It says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like people without a shepherd. Yeah, right. Sheep, sheep without uh, a shepherd. Yeah. And so in that. That's the that's the tone as we get into Judges, that these people are sheep without shepherds. Joshua is dead. They haven't con yeah, gone into Canaan and done the things they were supposed to do. So um, tribes like the Jebusites, who are going to be a problem later on um, in, the, in the narrative, are sticking around. And the Lord finally is like, you know, you're not listening, so I'm going to let them stick around, um, which is the same thing he does with the Syrians and the Babylonians. Um, uh, as the narrative goes on, he uses those nations to, to discipline his people. 
And it causes you to go, we need one to come and set things right. And that's what where it points to Jesus. There's a note actually in the Reformation study Bible uh, at the beginning of the book where the book kind of has uh, the Bible has like study notes about each book. There's a section actually called Christ and judges and listen to what this says. As the nation of Israel became increasingly immoral, this was reflected even in the judges. Each successive judge had more flaws and fell further short of the ideal picture of a leader than the judge before him. In addition, the deliverances they secured were short-lived periods of peace and rest for the land of Israel. These deficiencies encouraged the reader to yearn and long for an ultimate deliverer to usher in a final rest for the people of God. In other words, the tenor of the entire period of the judges cries out for the promised Messiah, Genesis 3.15, one who would come and redeem his people forever. And that, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nancy Guthrie in her book, The Son of David, seeing Jesus in the historical books, says, The book of Judges shows us what a world looks like in which people look inside themselves rather than outside themselves for the hero they are searching for. And it is not a pretty picture. It is Mm -hmm. dark and distressing and, frankly, sometimes disgusting. As the book of Judges unfolds, we witness abuse of power in the name of God, religious prostitution, uh, assassination, gang rape, and dismemberment. The mm-hmm. book of Judges is full of despicable people doing deplorable things. But in the middle of this darkness and distress, Judges also presents us with hope. Hope that a hero will come along. A hero who is fresh from the fight. A hero not from inside of us, but from outside of us. Judges helps us to see not only what we really do need, a hero, but also exactly what we need our hero to save us from. Absolutely. So um, one podcast I would absolutely recommend to our, our listeners, if you wanted to, you know, we're just doing kind of a survey touch on each one of these these books and these, these sections to give um, everybody a, a big picture here. But if you wanted to do a, a deeper dive into the book of Joshua, or the book of Judges, or any other book that we cover in the Old Testament, let me direct you to our, our friends over at 1517. Chad Bird and, and Daniel Emery Price uh, host a podcast called 40 Minutes in the Old Testament. Uh, and w- one of the things that Chad actually points out in his introduction to Judges, I thought was huge. The word there um, in the Hebrew that's used for Judges um, actually is never used for any of the judges in uh, the book of Judges. It's actually more the word that's used there is a word savior. They, that these are little saviors that are coming. And, and it makes sense because as you read the story, Scott, what you see is um, these people having to come and rescue Israel out of the the junk they've gotten themselves in. Right. And so the, there's these little saviors that are, that are coming and they are uh, having to come and rescue Israel from their mess, right. Having to come try to put the things back together. So as you think about the judges and and there's some, there's some stories in here that we all remember from Sunday school. Maybe you remember your, your felt graph and and all, all these sorts of things. This is the story of Deborah. This is the story of Gideon. This is the story of Samson. 
also, without trying to get too far ahead for ne- next time's uh, episode, Ruth begins with this little phrase during the time when the judges ruled. So even Ruth is actually set in judges. Um, these are all all dealing with types and shadows, little um, foreshadowings of the one to come, right? That Gideon's not the perfect savior, but he's got qualities like the, the Messiah that's going to come. Deborah is, is not your savior, but she's got leadership qualities like the one is going to come. Samson, obviously, <laughs> bless his heart, um, with the, Delilah and other things, isn't your savior, right? It, it actually doesn't end well for Samson, but his justice um, being executed in the way in which he carries himself. All of those things point to types and shadows. And it actually starts to kind of connect us into the next phase of the narrative because Samuel, as we're going to get into first and second Samuel, Samuel is this transition character, right? He both judges Israel and gives them their first king. So Samuel actually takes on this, this interesting judge prophet role uh, that we see that he both judges Israel and exercises oversight over them, but he also proclaims truth to power to Saul and to David um, and is used by God in the same way that we see the prophets used during the time of Kings for the, for the, for the rest of, of the old Testament. Um, so you start to see these types and shadows of the one that's going to come the great Messiah who is prophet, who is priest and who is King who is going to come and rule over the people. And the book ends, uh, Scott, the way it begins, literally the last verse um, of judges and it it kind of you know it's it's poetic right it's 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 not and they lived happily ever after and everything was perfectly fine scott read read uh chapter 21 verse 25 for us chapter 21 verse 21 25 in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes so the book ends the way it began with you longing for one that is going to come and rescue his people from their sins. And that's, that's Jesus. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Is it is um, the, 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 in order for us to embrace and understand the good news of the gospel, we have to have a clear understanding of the bad news. We have mm-hmm. to know what our situation and our state is is uh and so the 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 good news exists in the backdrop of bad news uh mm-hmm. we've got to we've got to understand that uh and judges gives us a little sneak peek into uh what we would be like without the grace of god in our lives there but for the grace of god go i Absolutely. Absolutely. We hope this was helpful. And if you have any questions or, or thoughts, we'd always love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com or hit us up on the website. Um, I was just checking the website this last week for, for different messages that we had received. Or you can always hit us up on any of the social media platforms. Um, Scott obviously can answer you on Facebook, um, but I'm on Instagram and, and, and Twitter. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, if this is the first time that you've heard anybody wrestling with the Old Testament this way and this is confusing to you, that that's okay too. We're, we're happy to walk, walk through this with you. Um, and in, until next time, this is Insurance of Pardon. God bless. God bless.